Have you ever had a day where you wish you had 10 more minutes in it? Or you just had that 10 more minutes right then? <laughs> that you just kind of stick that 10 minutes and go, I need that 10 minutes back because I think I may have missed it somewhere. I, I just need that 10 back. I need that 30 minutes back. I just need to stick it in right here because I need that 30 minutes. But you get up and you go and you realize, I can't do that. Have you ever awakened from a deep sleep and not realized where you are? You kind of have to clear the clutter and kind of figure out, well, where, where? And you kind of, oh, okay, you kind of shake things off. Now, some of you may have had illnesses before where it maybe it wasn't a matter of just shaking it off. It, there was, maybe you really didn't know where you were at that moment. You had to kind of work through that and somebody help you. First Corinthians 11, 23 through 28. The Apostle Paul is talking to us, writing to us. For I've received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord is in an, un, in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the blood before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. Everyone ought to examine himself, to be awake, to know where they are. As Jesus made these statements, recorded in Mark and in Matthew, specifically almost identical, it was the night before His trial, the night was going to be a long night for Jesus. But he starts the night out, as most of you know, in the upper room. The disciples eating together. But he sets this example that Paul just talked about. He washes the disciples' feet. Calls out Judas, if you will. He he. he Peter corners him later and goes, wait a second, you just, I think, somehow or another described that you were going to die. I'm not going to let that happen, just so you know. That's, I'm not going to let that, that no, I'll, yeah, that's not. And Jesus helps Peter to understand, you don't, not really understand, but at least tells him, you don't quite understand what you're saying, basically. You're saying stuff, and that's fine, and I understand your heart behind it, but you really don't know what you're talking about. So we end up at a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. Have you ever been with someone or a group of people that you thought were with you? They were walking shoulder to shoulder, side by side, but tough times came and they were nowhere to be found. You had high expectations because you thought it was deeper. You thought it was more of a relationship there than 
Apparently it was. And you look around and you realize it's not maybe because of something they want to do. They're exhausted. Their schedules just doesn't quite fit what you're going through. Or they have their own idea of what should be happening or what should be done or what should be happening. Like Peter, he's telling Jesus, no, i, I got another plan. I know that's your plan, but I'm about to try to change that plan. You look up and they either left you or you look up and they've betrayed you. Have you ever felt like you've had the weight of the world on your shoulders and nobody else really understood what you were carrying? Ever been there? Even people close to you don't quite understand exactly what you're carrying. You're in a battle. You're in warfare. You are on the front lines. You've been dropped behind the enemy lines. You're there by yourself, and you need people in the foxhole with you, and there's nowhere to be found a friend. And a lot of reasons why. Found asleep. Matthew 26, 36 through 46. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. If you've got it in your Bible or where you can highlight it, the key word there for me, and it will be, his watch. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, not, yet not as I will, but as you will. He returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep what? Watch <laughs> with me for one hour? Watch and pray that she will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. So three times he says this, three times, three times. It's important that he does it. It seems like that it's three times that this happens. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. The three. People who know me well enough, I teach the fact that they're, Jesus had three intimate ones who goes to the Mount of Transfiguration. The three, then there's 12, there's 12 disciples, then there's the 70 disciples. So when you begin to look at your life, who are the three, who are the 12, who are the 70? 
Who are those people you share the most intimate, intimate things? Who's the other group that you share a lot of things but maybe not quite as specific and then the larger group? But here these three guys were. They had been with Jesus. They'd been to the Mount of Transfiguration. They had been in these intimate conversations, but they still didn't get it. They were missing something here. Jesus is talking about his death, and they're missing it. Verse 38, Jesus says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. I believe in this translation of the NIV, it's, it's, sorrow is a pretty weak word to convey what Jesus was experiencing. The Raiders lost yesterday. I'm sorrowful. <laughs> the Razorbacks got beat by 23 last night by Kentucky. I'm sorrowful was sad. I think it's about the same as what we're talking about here, right? It's close to the same thing. I went, I saw a movie, it was sad. I made a mistake and I was sad and sorrowful, tried to correct it. That doesn't read the same, does it? When Jesus says, I am overwhelmed with sorrow, just doesn't quite do it. There should have been some alarms go off, shouldn't there, when the disciples heard Jesus say this. And I don't know if they actually heard it, but we do know they were in the vicinity, and we do know that he was just asking them to stay awake. He Maybe at that point he didn't even know how to explain it. All I need you to do is just stay awake and watch. I can't give you all the details right now. I don't understand all of it right now. I just need you to stand right next to me it's just stay awake. Jesus is broken. And it's a brokenness that I'm going to say again, they had a hard time comprehending what he was dealing with, right? No, there's no question about that. But we know a little bit about what he was dealing with because the word really it fits here is anguish. Anguish is just something we feel as humans when something hits us really, really close to home. That a death of a loved one, someone so dear to us that they're irreplaceable, you don't know what, and what I mean by that is that you can't just go out and get another one. <laughs> and they're gone, and there's this void, and there's this anguish, and just handing them a Kleenex at that point is not enough. Just going, well, things will get better. Come on, put a smile on your face. Come on. Or sharing one of your hurtful stories is really not even heard at that moment. You know what they need at that moment? They need you to be awake. They need you just to listen and watch and pray. Can you just stay awake? Do you have anybody in your life right now you could say, I think they would stay awake? If I was in that and I asked for that, they would stay awake. But the bigger question may be right now, are you one of those people who would stay awake? 
Do you have deep enough relationships and clutter is cleared out of your life enough where you could say, I have the margin, I have the space, because in that moment I can stay awake and watch and pray. But Jesus says as he's in the garden and he's wrestling with this the cup that has been put before him, the circumstances has been put before him. Yet not as I will, but as you will. This is always, and I want to repeat always, the prayer of a consecrated life. Always. I don't think there's any fudge space in there to say I'm consecrating my life to the Lord and it be any different than that. Jesus set the example. I know you could. I know I don't. I know other people don't have to go through this. I understand. But all I'm saying to you, Lord, right now in this moment, not my will, but your will. And it's always that prayer. But it's not just words, is it? We'd read in other places, Jesus was sweating blood. <laughs> We're talking about anguish. I know I'm going down this path like we talked about John the Baptist a few weeks ago. John the Baptist, you know, he's got to be sitting in that prison with a little bit of anguish, doesn't he? Because Jesus is not stopping me from getting my head chopped off. He's not stopping this process. Come on, Jesus, come through for me. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, in view of God's mercies, brother, offer yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing unto God. That is your reasonable act of worship. No longer conforming to the pattern of this world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. But again, therefore, in view of God's mercies, offer yourself, consecrate yourself. As a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto God. That is your reasonable. That's the least you can do, Paul is saying. Oh, there's going to be more. That's the least you can do. See, when that happens, I believe everything else begins to fall in place. Everything else starts, oh, I don't mean your life is going to be unmessy. I don't mean that your life is just going to be perfect. What I mean is it all starts making sense. You now have eyes to see what you couldn't see before. Consecration is our part. Sanctification is God's part. Only the Holy Spirit can sanctify us. God's grace gives us the ability to walk this out. But again, Jesus comes back to them and they're found sleeping, right? In verse 40. He goes, could you men not keep watch? Could you not stay awake? You know, Jesus, I think it would have been in Scripture. Jesus would have used this, I'm guessing, if he had just had it, if he had thought of it before I did. And that is, jar the floor! <laughs> right? Jar the floor! 
As many of you know, it have been 25 years of ministry. If you've ever been on a mission trip or a teen trip or any kind of trip with me, that is how you get awakened every morning. Not an alarm clock. It's just a friendly yell about this far from your bed. <laughs> it's friendly. Jar the floor. And the reason I use the term jar the floor, many of you already know the story of this. My dad, when he was in, the, in World War II, his sergeant would come to the, his drill sergeant would come to the end of the barracks, wood floor, pier and beam, wood floor, and they would be in their bunks, and he would yell from one end going, jar the floor, meaning get out of that bed, hit the floor so hard, you are ready for the day. Now. So, my dad passed that on to us, being raised as kids. So that's how I got awakened most mornings. Unless it was my two brothers taking the mattress and flipping me into the corner down, you know, where the bed was only this far back in the day where, yeah, yeah, so that was the other way I got awakened. But you're on the floor. Wake up. But don't just wake up. Don't just stir. Be ready to hit the floor running. Everything's already laid out that night. You're very intentional. Everything's already there. Everything's already pressed. All the boots are already shined. You're ready to go. That's a different kind of awakening, isn't it? And just going, well, I hit the snooze again, hit it again. That means you're on watch. You got a job to do. Worst thing that can happen, though, is people be asleep, but they're acting like they're awake. You have anybody in your family that talks in their sleep? I, I do. I used to really bad. Not as bad anymore. As if I was awake, I remember one time a friend of mine, there had been a hotel fire. It, it had just been on the news many years ago, and he and I were at a basketball tournament in Dallas, and we're staying in a hotel room. He's got two beds there. We're asleep, and we'd just been talking about this like a few hours before. I sat up in bed. I don't know this. I sit up in bed and go, I smell smoke. I smell smoke. He sets up in bed, starts opening the door up, stepping out in his underwear, and he's just... I laid back down and went to sleep. (laughs) I smell smoke. So it's that idea of acting like you're awake, making other people believe and responding that you're awake, but you're really still asleep at the wheel. You really are. But Jesus asked Peter, are you still sleeping? What's your response to that? The creator of the universe already knows the answer to that. (laughs) So he's asking you a question. What I would probably have said to him, well, Jesus, you're the one that said, come, who are all heavy and, 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 and weary and need rest. That's you. And what I'm doing, getting a little rest here, that's on you. But I'd say the other part of that is it's easier to fall asleep when you know the one you trust is still on watch. See, the disciples, I think, did what was natural for most people is the fact that Jesus, the one they trusted the most, well, he was still awake. Right? He's still up. What bad can happen when the one I trust the most is still up? Let your guard down a little bit. Our youngest daughter, Tori, most of you know Tori, but our youngest daughter, Tori, who just 
turned 25 on Friday. Uh, as a child, before go- going to bed at night, she wanted to know what time I was going to bed. Because she wanted to be there about 20 minutes before that. She would check with me. Well, what time are you going to bed tonight, Dad? What, what time are you going to bed? Well, about this time. Well, she's making sure she's in bed asleep. Except for this, she'd go, Dad, come check on me. Tons and tons. I heard that for a decade. Come check on me tons and tons. And what she was meaning was, she she's hoped somewhere along the way before I ever go to bed, she's asleep. Because she trusted the one who was on watch. I'd say the disciples have a little bit of that, wouldn't you say? They're going, well, Jesus is still up. You know, wouldn't it be great, though, if you were about to fall asleep spiritually, you had spiritual rumble strips, you know, kind of on the side of the road, just going, hey, you're, 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 you're working your way off the road a little bit. <laughs> you know, by the way, we do. It's called the Holy Spirit. It's called the community, called the church. And how he uses prayer in the word. And you're held accountable. You're willing to be held accountable. You're willing to be called out. You're willing to be encouraged. You're willing to be taught. You're willing to be coachable. Jesus goes on to say, the spirit is willing, but the body, the flesh is weak. And most of us, I'd say, each week probably leave Renovation Church in some form or fashion. And if you hear the word, you hear music, you hear prayer, you hear the community, you walk out of here with a, with a, with a step of going, I, I'm going to do better this week. Your spirit's willing. You came in here today, you're sitting here, you made an appointment here, uh, and, and, and you're here but because you want, your, your spirit is going, I, I think I maybe want a little, not everybody in the room, but, but most are going, I want a little more, I want to be further down the road, I want to live this out. But our flesh... I'm not even sure it's talking about the sinful nature here. I'm not quite totally sure about that. But, but, but our flesh, our bodies are weak, aren't they? We, we're marginless. We're overwhelmed. We're overwhelmed in all kinds of areas. We're mentally, emotionally, physically. And then ultimately spiritual finally gets to get its way in there. We're wore out. We get what is happening with them. We, we understand what Jesus says when your, your spirit is willing. I think everybody, well, I don't know about everybody, but most people in this room would say, my spirit's willing. But I still live in this messed up world that's full of sin, and I still live in a body that's battling. It's a war. Even for the ones who want the best intent still struggle. We live in North America under this tyranny of time that's there's supposed to be things that save us time. How many of you, over the last 40 years of all the time savers that's been put in your life, you feel like you have more time now than you ever had? It didn't work, did it? It just didn't work. And the reason part of that is, is because about time management and margins about discipline. But most of us would rather have a quick fix. Let me buy something that causes me to save time instead of me figuring out what are my priorities in life and I need to start to create my life where it makes sense to those priorities. We'd rather just buy something, take a pill. And discipline has a bad taste in most people's mouth, but I'll tell you this. The end result of discipline is freedom. 
The end result of legalism is bondage, but the end result of discipline is always freedom. I listened last night, unfortunately, after, after Kentucky beat Arkansas by, by 23 points or whatever it was, and listened to DeAndre Fox, those who follow basketball, and to hear him say, what's the one thing that John, Coach Calipari preaches to you guys all the time? And he said, it is discipline, because we want to live here. We want to be the best of the best. The end result of discipline is not only putting discipline and process in your life. How many of you have already blown up your, your New Year's resolutions, by the way? Because willpower by itself is a fallacy. Will has no power, by the way. Your will has no power. It is all informed by what is your, the priorities and values in your life and the structure you have intentionally put in to be able to help you get there. And especially hanging out with the community and, and being empowered by the Holy Spirit even gives it another kick in the pants. But your will has no power. It's like using your conscience, your conscience as your main guide in life. Your conscience is great for a stop sign, but your conscience is horrible for a green light. Because you can manipulate your conscience. But you will never manipulate the power of the Holy Spirit being convic- and living under the conviction and discipline. And I mean discipline in a good way, in a freeing way. But we all want a quick fix, don't we? Just buy something. Let's just get a pill. Let's just... Jesus continues back and he says, are you still sleeping? He goes, verse 45, he said, the hour is near. Son of man is betrayed. They just missed their opportunity, didn't they? To be watchful. You know, it's one thing to have regrets about yesterday. about what you should have done? My question is, you're going to have regrets about tomorrow. Because you can do something about that right now. Some of you have come this year, starting out 2017, The first eight days or even leading into it, you thought it's clean slate, clean slate, clean slate. Okay, new start, clean slate, clean slate. And in eight days, you realize just thinking clean slate wasn't enough. And you know it. And unfortunately, there are people around you that know it and there are ripples of you not getting it. you don't know what time it is you're sleeping don't know what time it is oh yeah we could talk about the times of our technology and it's the greatest days I would argue with that in one way on the other side I think it is the greatest days it's the greatest days for the church to rise up that's what I believe I think it's an awesome day to be a part of the church I think it's an awesome day to be a part of the kingdom, but you got to have the tools. you got to be ready to go. And you can sit around and beat yourself up. You can sit around and complain about everybody else, but it's time. 
And the church rises up individually and as a body. And you keep looking around for the church. Why don't they do that? Why don't they do that? We're trying to give you tools to put in your tool belt. I will tell you that part of it. But I'm going to tell you right now, a few years ago, I, 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 I wear an a, uh, Iron Man watch because it makes me feel more healthy, even though it doesn't help me much. But Iron Man just sounds good. And it's indestructible, the other part of it. But the batteries run out on it. It's, almost, it's cheaper to just go buy a new one than it is to try to replace the battery. <laughs> so I, but, but a few years ago, I had one, and, a, and, and, the, and the battery went out on it. And everybody knows me. I wear a watch almost 24-7. And, and so, I, you know, I had that watch. Well, I finally took it off when it had a blank screen. But you know what? I found out, and it's profound, Even if I don't know what time it is, it's time still ticking on. Profound. No matter if I don't know what time it is, it still marches on. And God still marches on with his church. And the divine drama that God put in motion in creation is still marching on, whether I get in it or not. Whether I recognize it or not. If I recognize what time it is right now, it doesn't matter. It's still happening. I can't stop it. I can't go back in time. Here's the challenge for some of you in this room today, and I got to get going here. Some of you want to go back in time and live in a specific time. You qualify that moment as some of your greatest moments, and they probably were at that moment. I'm not saying they're they're not. But the problem is time still doesn't stand still for you. For many people, they spend the rest of their life trying to get back to a certain time. They want that feeling of euphoria. They want that feeling of nirvana. They want that feeling. That's why addiction is so deceiving. They have all kinds of addiction. It has the false promise of reliving something that is ultimately dysfunctional, Dysfunctional and obviously not sustainable, but it promises for a moment that reliving of a lens that you're looking through, it's promising something of a euphoria regardless of its consequences on your life or the people connected to you. Time marches on. You can't go back and grab that moment. But we keep trying, don't we? We buy something new because we want that moment again. But all of a sudden now I have to buy something else new. We're not talking about just addictions as far as substance abuse or pornography or whatever that may be. It may be, I've got to do something new. I've got to buy something new. It could be any of those kind of things. Because I need some kind of fix. Because in that moment when I bought that, I felt like something. And I'm trying to recapture that. But we're in this time warp. We're all in this time warp. So many things are happening at the same time. I remember in 2010, December 2010, it was one of those moments you're just going, I want time to hurry up, but I want time to stop. My dad was just days away from dying. He was in hospice. He was moments away, I mean, just days away from dying. But also at that time, Allie had been three and a half months in London. I'm ready for her to get home. She got home the day we had the memorial service. So it was this clash of times. 
of hurrying and stopping. Have you ever been there? And I'm also in that moment going, but I want to see my grandbaby that I don't even know yet. She's only about five months out. And what God did, my dad, Cameron ended up being born on my dad's birthday. And somehow the times clashed. You're going, God, you're so cool about that. And I don't know how that works. But I was in this time warp. You know, 20 years ago, we took this picture. Oh, we got it there. Colton wasn't happy. I'll tell you that. But see, in some ways, I would love to go back to that time because of the innocence of my children. They didn't have all this mess that they're challenged with. I had a good left hip back then, by the way. <laughs> my hair was all there and brown. Show the next one. 20 years later, we took this the other day. I can't, be wanting to re- I can't be wanting to live in 1996. I want to live now. Bring the memories, but leave the memorabilia. <laughs> because he's, who's not even in that picture is the next picture. It's all these other people. How would I want to miss that? By living somewhere else. I want to live now. But i got to make choices. I made choices in 1997. I didn't know I was moving to Arizona. I didn't even know you people were going to, you were alive. (laughs) Time doesn't stop. But what time does for us, it inspires us. It moves us to do the things in the future. We take it with us. We take it with us. But we, it should be moving us. It should be jet fuel for us. We'd rather do this, though. God instructs over and over, doesn't he? Doesn't he? Remember. Remember the good deeds of your creator. Remember. But let that remembrance be jet fuel for the future. I may regret what I did yesterday. But I'm a fool if I already know I'm going to regret tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation, the word says. Today is the day to make the change. You're not promised tomorrow. Life is a bit of mist and going to here today, going tomorrow. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Peter and the rest of the crew and John, if they would have just lived in regret, if they would have only lived in that window of being in the garden and doing, if they had only stayed there in their minds, we wouldn't be here probably. It was a motivator. 
He was an inspirator. That's the right word. I'm that's the right word or not, but. And if you're here today not as a Christian, there's something called an awakening. It's the grace that goes before salvation. It's that prevenient grace that draws you and awakens you to something that you just didn't know what was going on. And all of a sudden there's an awakening, there's an eyes to see things that you never even knew was going on around you. Remember. Remember. Romans 13, 11 through 14. I'm going to ask the uh, band if they want to come back up and we're going to transition into communion this morning. Romans 11. Then do this. Understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. Because your salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let's put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not carousing and drunkenness and not in sexual immorality, debauchery and and in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. To clothe yourself as the Lord Jesus Christ. As we read earlier, Paul said, when you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. But Paul goes on to say, since examine yourself. To examine yourself. Jesus set the example for us. I think any time we come to communion, but it should be any day. He said, not my will, but your will, Lord. To consecrate our lives. To set our lives apart is different, is uncommon. And we do the things, the disciplines, these things, but we know that if we do the best we can, God's going to do even better than that in our lives. But you come to the cross and you go, and if Jesus, who was sinless, still had to be broken. Where does that leave us? What I love about the bread and what I love about the juice, and obviously we don't, we, here you know we don't use wine, and part of that's because we don't know the culture, we don't know everybody's story. We don't know everybody's story, so we leave that out, and we use juice instead. But what I love about bread is that the grain has to be crushed to become something useful. What I love about the wine is the grapes have to be crushed in order to become useful. Does that make sense? I love what Max Licato says in his book, Six Hours, One Friday. He said, there's a direct correlation between the accuracy of our memory and the effectiveness of our mission. If we don't have a passion for people to be saved, perhaps we've forgotten the tragedy of being lost. 
If we are not teaching forgiveness, maybe it's because we don't remember what it's like to be guilty. If we're not pointing people to the cross and Jesus' death and resurrection, it could be that we've subconsciously decided that God forbid, somehow we don't need it. Can you still remember? Are you still in love with Paul, what, what, with Paul, what Paul begged? Remember Jesus before you remember anything else. Remember Jesus. If you forget anything, don't forget Jesus. How quickly we forget. So much happens through the years. The changes without, the alterations within. So many pressures to conform. And somewhere back there we leave him. And we don't turn away from him. We just don't take him with us. Assignments come, promotions come, budgets made, kids are born, and the Christ, the Christ is forgotten. Has it been a while since you stared into the heavens and stood in amazement? Has it been a while since you realized his divinity and your humanity? Jesus consecrated his life. This example was not done to just build a theology. Jesus set the example of what it was to live. Yet not my will, but your will. You stand? I'm going to read one more thing, and it's going to be up on the screen, but I'm just give you these logistical things about the way we take communion here at Renovation if it is your first time. We just ask you to come down these aisles here to my left or to my right here. Come down and go back and go into your seat, and we will close there. But when, we, when you feel comfortable, or even if you feel comfortable today, that's your call on that. But you'll come dip it in the cup and partake of it here at the table. And if you are here and you physically can't make it, I want to ask if you would raise your hand if you're sitting, if you're, if you're sitting down. Andy, would you guys be sure? And, and we've got some cups that we can bring to you too. I want to quote this from Ann Voskamp in The Broken Way. Continuously make ever-present Christ present. Continuously remembering the sweetness and the brokenness in shattered places with broken people. We're in the most need of the broken heart of Christ and find our whole selves through the mystery of the resurrection, through the mystery of brokenness and abundance. We are sustained by his brokenness, his givenness, sustained by the Last Supper for centuries. We call simply the Thanksgiving or the Eucharista. No one is ever wholly fed unless someone becomes broken. This is how you live with your one broken heart. You give it away. This is how you enter into the wholeness of kononia, the communion of the community. Symbols of his death. They are the essence of the new life. Take and taste it in a thousand ways. There's a revolution of brokenness right into abundant wholeness, right into the cure of the universe. Lord, help us today. To remember, to remember for your glory, to partake, to partake as broken people, as a community of brokenness. And it's out of this brokenness we find abundance as we come together. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. You come as you farewell this morning.